Welcome to the Brighton Adventure Story Podcast. Chapter 7. Funny Business The tunnel from the Oracle's room started with a rather intimidating vertical drop. James turned his torch on to the lowest setting and held it steady while Jenny clambered down the rusted iron rings set into the wall. Then she lit up the way for him. At the bottom of the drop, the tunnel sloped, gently at first, and then becoming very steep, spiralling round to the right like a slide in an abandoned water park. The sides of the tunnel were smooth stone, and twice James almost stumbled forward into Jenny. The steep incline crammed his toes hard into the ends of his trainers, and his hands grew sore from bracing against the sides. And then, at last, the tunnel opened out into a little narrow sewer. They walked next to the old red brick sides, torches on, following a dark trickle of water. The smell was worse than James remembered, but not overbearing. After a few hundred metres, another tunnel joined theirs, then another. The sewer widened and the smell eased. There was even a little wooden walkway at one side for them to walk on. It was a bit rickety, and they had to watch their step, but it was better than being down next to the water. "'Can you remember the way?' Jenny asked, once they were safely on the walkway above the moving ooze. "'Not completely,' James said. "'Just follow the main tunnel, I think. I remember a ladder at one point, but it won't be for a while yet.' The sewer went on. Every so often another tunnel joined or split off, but the children stayed on the main route. There were gated tunnels too, closed and locked, not for sewage but something else, they stemmed from the walkway. Each gate had on it somewhere the same symbol as on James's key, the squiducken, a fishy, squiddy-looking face. They had no idea where those gated tunnels led only that they were very old and mostly very dangerous. "'Look,' Jenny said, "'I think that's the way up to the clock tower in Preston Park.' "'It was a squiducken gate, and it was open. "'I think you're right,' James said. "'It's still a way further to the ladder, then.' "'And it was. "'They walked for twenty more minutes until they came to it. "'By then the sewer water was deep and wide like a river, "'and the far side was thirty feet away.' The ladder was cut into the bricks and went straight up. Both children agreed it looked like the one they'd been forced up three years previously. Jenny went first, this time with her torch between her teeth. James followed. After more than twenty rungs, they appeared in a very similar-looking sewer to the one beneath them, deep and wide, with a wooden walkway and brick sides. They followed the flow of the water and more and more tunnels joined until they were walking by the side of a huge underground river, and the water was black and drifted slowly with them. When the sewer was so wide that their torches would not reach the far side, James spotted a yellow point of light ahead. Ratterston, he said, it's got to be. The light ahead grew, and soon it was a hundred lights starting on the walkway and twinkling out horizontally into the middle of the water. Flickering lamps appeared at regular intervals on the wall next to them, and the children turned off their torches. The walkway grew wider too, and better maintained, like the promenade of a town. For that is what it was, 
a town made of small wooden huts and houses built on stilts over the river. Ratterston. There was only one way into the town, a wooden jetty, and like the mercenary rats outside the clock tower in Blaker's Park, there were two guards stationed where the walkway joined Ratterston's entrance. Jenny slowed when the rats turned and saw them. It's okay, James said. It's Zen and Bobby. Come on. He forged ahead and smiled at their old friends. The rats did not look so pleased to see him. Keep back, the larger of the two rat mercenaries said. It was holding a long pike casually at its side. It's good to see you too, Zen, James said, sounding hurt. And you, Bobby, he nodded at the smaller rat. Bad times, I'm afraid, Bobby said. Best just to go back home. No fun here. What's the matter? James asked. We're quarantined, Zen said. No one goes in or out. Not that you'd want to visit this place anyway. Is it the virus? James asked. I mean, coronavirus. Does that affect rats too? Not sure. We're all fine, Bobby said. Well, apart from being quarantined and hungry. James was confused and was about to ask another question when Jenny cut in. We're looking for a dog, she said. Have you seen one? Oh yeah, Bobby said. One came along not long back. Went that way. The rat gestured further along the walkway past the town. We'd better get after it, Jenny said, sounding relieved. Not so fast, a familiar voice shrieked. Rats, detain those humans. They should not be down here. Before James and Jenny could move, Zen swung his pike lazily to block their way forward, and Bobby shuffled round behind them. Neither rat followed the order with anything approaching vim or vigour. James thought about jumping the pike and running, but Zen gave him a wink to say the children were safe with him. Lord Ratzenberg and a dozen rat guards approached from the town. While none of the guards was anywhere near as big as Zen, Lord Ratzenberg was massive in every dimension. His many chins wobbled as he dragged his robed fatness towards the children. He stopped and addressed Zen and Bobby. I heard that a dog was seen on the pathway, Lord Ratzenberg said. How come it wasn't caught and brought to me? Quarantine, Zen said with a sigh. Your orders were to let nothing in and nothing out. We carried out your orders to the letter. But we're low on food, the huge rat whined. A public dog roast would have helped keep the spirits up. It could have brought more infection too, Zen said. And it's my neighbour's dog, Jenny protested. Lord Ratzenberg screwed his already beady rat eyes into an even beadier expression. It looked Zen up and down, then scrutinised the children, and then let out a sigh. Guards dismissed, it said to the other rats, waving them away with a gold-ringed paw. Go on, I'll make my own way back to the Great Hall. The guards looked a bit confused, muttered between themselves, and then turned and trudged back into the town. Once they were gone, the fleshy rodent parked its ample derriere upon a low post that marked the river edge of the walkway. The post creaked under the weight, Zen lowered his pike, and Bobby ambled back to lean up against the wall by a flaming lamp. We need any food we can get, the rat said, looking down and shaking its head. It won't be long till we run out, and then we'll be forced to go topside again. What about the virus? James asked. Is it really affecting rats? Not directly, the rat said. What? Bobby said. 
People are going hungry in Ratterston, all because of this deadly virus. Why have you quarantined everyone? Jenny asked, if they're not affected. It's complicated, Lord Rattenberg said. At the start of the human virus, it was great for us. Plenty of food around and no humans. Deserted buildings, food left in fridges, a rat's paradise. But then the long man came to town and those musty polecats and he started kicking us out of buildings. And then he decided to pay me a visit. He said that if he saw any of us topside while he was around, he'd set his pre-eminent friend on me. So I made up a story about a virus and locked everyone down. So the whole town is quarantined just because you're scared of a polecat, James said. That's not what I said. The rat stared at the ground as it spoke. The long man's friend is unstoppable. I'd be dead before I knew it. You'd let your people starve to protect yourself, Jenny said. What kind of a leader would do that? A rat leader, Lord Ratzenberg said. It's hard for you to understand, but rats need a leader like me. They expect cunning plans and evil schemes. They need them. Zen and Bobby nodded in agreement. And I give them what they need. You two keep spoiling the plans, and that's okay. No one minds if the plans fail. We're all right down here in Ratterston. But if the long man gets rid of me, then another rat will have to step up and lead, and they'll be just as stuck as I am. As much as it pains me to admit it, I need your help. Our help, Jenny said. You were going to eat my dog. I didn't know it was your dog. You blackmailed Elf and tried to take over Brighton, James said. Elf came to me, and you stopped that plan, remember? He's right, Zen said. The town folk can't be quarantined forever. No one said anything for a long moment. What do you need us to do? Jenny said finally. I can't promise that we'll be able to stop the polecats or the long man or his friend, though. James couldn't believe it. One of their most hated enemies was asking for help, and Jenny was agreeing to do it. Have you forgotten the time he was going to throw us in his dungeon? James said incredulously. But he didn't, did he? she replied. Don't you see? None of his plans worked, and we were never harmed. You didn't look so happy when you were holding that electrical cable under the pier with water dripping all over, and I could have drowned coming to rescue you. I didn't make you do that, the rat said. I'd never have believed anyone would be stupid enough to try and use the old smuggler's entrance in that weather. That was your choice, not mine. This is crazy, James said. I can't believe I'm thinking about helping Lord Ratzenberg. Zen, Bobby, what do you think? I don't trust him, Zen said. And you know I work for the highest bidder. But he's got a point. We do need your help. Bobby nodded. Any help would be nice round here. I don't like it either, Jenny said. And don't think that we won't be worried about a double cross. Gah! James said, throwing up his hands in frustration. Okay, okay. We'll help you. But I'm warning you, Ratzenberg. Any tricks and we're out. If at any point we even nearly smell a rat, it's over. The three rats looked at James with puzzled expressions. And by that, Jenny said, he means no funny business.